0: Folks, if you're visiting, my name's Scott, I'm one of the pastors at Adventure, and I'm thrilled today that you get to hear one of the most gifted teachers I've ever heard. One of the most influential leaders I've ever been around, L- listen to this, when he was 35 years old, he started a church behind a card table in front of Walmart off of uh, Stanford Ranch Road, and that from that card table... God used his gifts of leadership to grow a church to a weekly attendance of about seven thousand people, a little larger than we are, and an enormous campus and It is, I believe, because God has uniquely given him gifts of leadership and teaching and uh, and the most important gift he 's got is his beautiful wife, Amy, Amy, are you in here? There she is right there. love her, just raise your hand, I just just throw your hand up. Anyways, this guy, I I had a chance along with my brother-in-law, my wife, and and her twin sister to work around this uh, incredible leader for six years. It was a gift. Would you welcome Rick Steadman?
1: Thank you, Scott. Boy, I tell you, I still remember the day when I first met Scott in Missouri and invited him to come to California to be my youth pastor. I wish all my decisions were that easy. That was great, and he was just fabulous. I'll talk more about him and, and as I get into the message this morning. Uh, it is a real privilege to be here. Amy and I are right now serving as an interim uh, pastorate. I'm an interim pastor. After uh, sort of uh, passing the baton and Adventure to someone else and uh, going off and writing some books for a few years. I felt God was calling me back into, uh, into community again, into using my gifts, but I felt like he wanted me to be an interim pastor. So I said, okay, God, if you want me to be an interim pastor uh, in different churches, I'm willing to do that. And if it happens to be in Carmel or Monterey, you know, <laughs> that'd be okay with me. And wouldn't you know it, the first church that calls me is in Bakersfield. <laughs> So I'm in Bakersfield right now, and I'm actually loving it. I kid you not, they are the most delightful, wonderful, hardworking, Christ-loving people. It's a privilege to serve, and who knows where God will take me next, but it's looking up from here, I'll tell you that. So um, anyway, I'm really happy to be here. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this chance we get to uh, now hear from you. We want you to speak to us through your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your promises, and we pray that your very great and precious promises would come true in our life in Jesus name. Amen. I love weddings, and um, today actually this afternoon i 'm doing a wedding, and weddings are all about promises, right they 're all about making commitments and and, and exchanging vows uh, they 're also about other things, and sometimes they 're just funny. I remember this one guy named Frank, he was so excited to get married. When his bride-to-be uh, walked down the aisle, Frank couldn't wait, and he stepped out to give her a kiss. And I said, no, Frank, no kissing yet. It's not the kissing part yet. you got to wait. So he stood there, and then, you know, we prayed, and then he went to kiss her again. And I said, no, no kissing yet. I, I'm not kidding. He tried to kiss her three or four times in the ceremony, you know. Finally, I said, you know, I now pronounce you husband and wife, and I turned to him, and I said, Frank... You may kiss your bride. And it was embarrassing. It was the longest kiss I've ever <laughs> witnessed in a in a wedding. Did I tell you they were both 70 years old, by the way? I mean, God is uh, amazing how He just He He just pours out His blessing on us and He never stops. Uh, you know, but weddings are about promises. They're about the giving and exchanging of commitments. But sadly, our culture today doesn't understand that, do they? So I'm going to talk today about the power of his promises. You would not have the Bible without promises. You would not have Christianity without promises. You would not have family or friendships without promises. Take your Bibles, please, and turn in them to 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, if you want to know where 2 Peter is, it's right after 1 Peter. That's how you find it, okay? Or you just go to the end of your Bible and hang a left a few pages and it's before Revelation. Second Peter chapter 1. I'm just going to start reading in verse 1 so you get the flavor of it. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. I love, by the way, that he says servant before apostle, right? That shows you his attitude. I like that a lot. Who, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. I love how he says, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about how Jesus is God, right? Then he goes on, he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through our knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Would you like grace and peace and abundance in your life? Would you like that? I mean, all these wonderful things here. But listen to this next verse. His divine power has given us everything we need for life. You've got everything you need. And godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And then here is it in verse four. Here's here's where it really just, just gets overwhelmingly good. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Take your highlighter and mark it, circle it, star it. Do you know God has given you very great and precious promises? God has promised you some things. He wants to give you some things. He wants to fulfill His promises if you are aware of what those promises are, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. In other words, so you become like Christ. God wants to give you His very great and precious promises. Now, why are promises so important? I want to take you on a little journey this morning walking through the promises of God. And hopefully this will give you a new way to view God's promises and even the promises you made in your own life. And if you grab these principles, I really think they're life-changing. They're marriage-changing. They're family-changing. They're legacy-changing. And they're eternity-changing. So, so, first of all, the Bible uh, is all about promises. Promises are at the core of our Christian identity. I mean, let me prove it to you. You know, the Bible sort of is, is in two parts, right? There's the old... Thank you both for helping me out there. The Old Testament and the New New Testament. Testamentum is just the Latin word for covenant or promises. You see, promises are at the core of our Christian identity. Now, we don't use testament very much. No one says, you know, let's testament to have lunch tomorrow, right? No guy would say, "Uh, I'd like to have you to wear a testament ring. No, it's a promise ring or something like that. So what does testament mean? Well, testament, if you're taking notes, Old and New Testaments mean covenants or promises. So the Old Testament is God's, you might say, old promise to us or former promise. And the New Testament is his new promise to us. And and in that alone, old and new promises, we learn something fascinating about God. God, according to the Bible, is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. In the Bible, God made promises again and again and again. To Noah, he promised it will never flood the earth again. Do you remember that one? And gave the sign of a rainbow. Every time you see a rainbow, be reminded God is a promise-making God. To um, Abraham, he said, look up at the stars, so shall your offspring be. He made promises to Abraham and then to Jacob. I especially love this in Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 28. Where's Genesis at? Right in the beginning. That's right. And uh, Genesis 28, 16, 15 says this, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob receives this incredible, incredible gift from God. It's a promise. God says to him, I am with you and I will watch over you and I will not finish until I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. And so if God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God, what does that say about you and me? Well, the Bible in Genesis 1.27 says we are created in God's image. So if God is a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God, what does that say about us? We are to be promise-makers and promise-keepers. The core of the Bible, the core of our Christian identity, and the core of, of your being is that God made you to make promises. And he made you to keep promises, But our culture today doesn't understand this. I hear people say things like, oh, I don't like to make promises because I like to keep my options open. Have you ever heard something like that before? That's just idiotic, you know? I mean, life and everything valuable comes through the making and keeping of promises, as I'm going to try to explain to you. The ability for us to make promises is one of the very best gifts you've been given by God. You may think, oh, well, my, my mind is a great gift, or my, my heart is a great gift, or, or my family is a great gift. And those are all true. But you know something? The ability to make and keep promises is, is one of the, the best things about you. As a matter of fact, I like to call it the tool that God has given us to shape the future. Okay, now if you catch this, this is going to help your marriage. This is going to help your parenting. This is going to help your job, your life, if you grab this principle from the Bible. Promises are God's tool to help shape the future. Now, circle on your outline, if you're taking notes there, circle the word tool. Now, I am a tool guy, I like tools. Is there anybody here, male or female, that you like tools, you like woodworking or metalworking and or artistry, you like your paintbrush or whatever? I'm a tool guy. When I was in college, I worked at a, at a welding supply company, and we all had nicknames based on our favorite tools. One guy was the hammer, because it didn't matter what was stuck. He said, well, give me my hammer. I'll unstuck that thing, you know? <laughs> Another guy was the torch, because he just loved to burn stuff. Oh, I'll heat it up. Me, let me heat it up, you know? Another guy was, was duct tape which uh, isn't technically a tool, but for him it worked. I was vice grips. Because when I grab something, I don't let go. I'm a very persistent man. And you know what? Vice grips are still my favorite tool to this day. Well, God, in the same way, has given us a tool to shape the future. Yes, you can actually reach out into tomorrow and the weeks and months and years, and you can shape the kind of life you want. Just like a woodworker shapes a piece of wood or a metalworker uh, you know, turns iron, you can shape your future through the power of making and keeping promises. Uh, when I was in, in graduate school, one of my professors said this. I think this is one of the greatest sentences ever written. Listen to this. Lewis Mead said, when we make promises we reach out into tomorrow's oceans of uncertainty and create islands of security. Now, it's not in the Bible, but it's pretty good, isn't it? So actually, why don't you read that out loud with me because I want this to sort of seep in your soul today. Let's read this out loud, ready? When we make promises, we reach out into tomorrow's oceans of uncertainty and create islands of security. One more time. Repetition is good for the heart and soul. When we make promises, we reach out into tomorrow's oceans of uncertainty and create islands of security. Folks, life is about making and keeping promises. And when we make promises, when we reach out and make appointments, for instance, let's say you and I decide, hey, let's have lunch next week. Okay, well, let's meet, you know, down the street at Rubio's next Wednesday at noon, Okay. Well, all of a sudden, we look at our calendars. We both can do it. We write it down. Guess what? We've begun to bring shape to next week, right? That begins to shape the future, that commitment we've made. You know, way back to when I, you know, went to Missouri, uh, I'd heard there was this great youth pastor in Missouri, so I took a plane back there for a conference and arranged to meet Scott Matthews. And when I met Scott Matthews, I was sold on him right away. And by the way, you've made a really good choice of attending and being a part of this church because you have a pastor who's a man of integrity and he's someone you can trust. So I just think, I think the world has Scott. Anyway, I, I still remember that we talked and, you know, I offered him a job and I promised him that if he were to move his family to California, I would have a job. He would have a job here and I would pay him for that job. What if he moved all the way to California and I said, oh, I'm just kidding. Or, you know, hey, well, I've decided you're not going to be the youth pastor. You know, you're going to be the uh, senior's pastor instead or or something like that. No, when Scott moved, he kept his part of the promise. He moved his van. We made a deal and we made a promise. And so that shaped his future. It changed where his kids were raised, where some of his kids were born. And it changed where he'd minister for the rest of his life. That promise shaped his future. And when he got to our church, I kept my side of the promise. See, that's what promises do. They shape the future. When Scott asked me to come here and, and preach at this church, I said, okay. I wrote it on my calendar. That up and from Bakersfield and stuff like that. So promises shape the future. This is what Jesus did in Matthew 28, verses 10 and 16. You can turn to that later. But in Matthew 28, there's this little passage in which Jesus after the resurrection, says to some disciples, "Uh, don't be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. He made an appointment. After the resurrection, he said, hey, tell the rest of the disciples, go to Galilee, I'll meet you there. And then guess what happens? Down verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Jesus made a promise and then he kept his promise. You know, the, the New Testament is full of promises of Jesus. And I'm going to talk about those later. But, but you know, as Christians, you are heirs to the promises of Jesus. And he's promised you all this stuff. But so many of us as Christians, we live our lives based on the broken promises of this, of this world rather than the promises of Jesus. And we, and we need to stop letting the promises of this world, the broken promises of this world, shape us so much. And instead let Jesus and his promises shape who we are and how we live. So promises, making and keeping promises are a fantastic tool to shape the future. But it even gets better than that. I mean, think about it. Why did God give Abraham, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, Promises. I mean, God could have kept his cards close to the vest and said, well, you know, I'm never going to flood the earth again, but I'm not going to tell him that. No, he decided to tell them and make promises. Why? Well, here's the reason. It's just wonderful. God's relationship building tool is promises. Promises are not only the tool by which you shape the future. Promises are the tool by which you build relationships. You see, God didn't have to tell Noah, Abraham, and David. He didn't didn't have to tell them what the future was going to hold. But God revealed his future plans to these people. Why? Because relationships and friendships are formed by the making and keeping of promises. See you at the pool tomorrow. How about we have lunch next Saturday? Want to go on a date? Okay, I'll pick you up at 7 p.m. I pledge to serve and defend our country. Oh, I'd love to to take the job. Thank you. Yeah, sign here. I mean, all these promises that we make and we keep, they shape not just the future, but friendships are shaped by time spent together. By promises offered and promises kept, trust is developed and relationships deepen. In fact, friendships and family cannot survive with broken promises, unless they're, you know unless repentance and restoration happens because, because promises are what builds relationships. This is why God made promises to Noah, Abraham, etc. God doesn't just want followers. He wants relationships. He wants friendship with you. He wants love. And love is built through the giving and receiving of promises, the making and keeping. And then sooner or later, most of us in life, we face the big kahuna of promises. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about marriage. But of course, our culture doesn't understand this either. You ever heard someone say, well, we love each other and we don't need a piece of paper or a ceremony to make that love real. Have you ever heard that before? Well, that is just one of the dumbest things someone can say, you know, um, that's, that's like going to a car dealer and the car dealer is saying to you, well, we don't need a contract to ensure that you'll, you'll pay off this loan. Would a car dealer ever do that? Uh, we need promises that have teeth, that have strength. They're going to stand the test of time. Yes, you do. You need a ceremony. You need a piece of paper. Why? Well, even secular studies prove that. Do you know secular studies have concluded that people live together are five times more likely to separate than someone who's married? Plus, they're more likely to be unfaithful to their partner. they, They even report more fighting, more violence, and less happiness than married couples. I mean, even from just secular sociology, it makes sense to get that piece of paper to have that ceremony where you take vows and you commit before other people. But our culture just doesn't get this. This especially comes out when I get a couple that come to me and they want to get married and then they say, "Oh, but but we want to write our own vows." I've heard that over and over and you know what? It's usually a really bad idea. Cuz the vows just don't have teeth. They're wishy washy, they're not strong. This one couple wrote this, this was their vow I promise to love you as long as our love lasts. (laughs) Now, how is that for a secure marriage? How is that for a, a secure home in which you can raise kids to be sure of the future? Folks, I love you, I promise to love you as long as our love lasts. That's not a promise, that's a surrender in advance. I mean, they're really, they're giving up before it's even started. Or how about this? I read about this one. A couple wrote this vow. I promise to love you. Oh, no, that's them. I'm sorry. I, I can't promise you forever, but I can promise you today. How's that for a, med- a, med- a, med- a Sorry, a wedding vow? A marriage promise. I can't promise you forever, but I'll promise you today. Folks, that's not a promise. That's literally a one-night stand. (laughs) And whoever said that thought they were being profound. I can promise you today. No, that's not a foundation on which you can build a home, on which you can raise kids who feel security and confidence and love. You know, when Amy and I married almost 30 years ago next summer, we exchanged old-fashioned vows. They had teeth and power. And I still remember them. I, Rick, take you, Amy, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for, or, for better or worse, yeah. richer or poorer, <laughs> in sickness and in health, <laughs> to love, honor, and cherish till death do us part. Now, that means something. There's no wiggle room there. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And, you know, that promise shaped our future. Every day, it doesn't matter where we're at, and barring some catastrophe or some, you know, accident or illness or something like that, I know that when I come home at night, she's also going to come home at night, and I won't be alone. And our kids growing up, they also knew that no matter what happened during their day, there was one thing they could always be sure of. You know what it was? They come home and eventually mom and dad are there that night. A family. Now, does that mean our kids never saw us fight? Oh, they saw us fight. You know, Amy and I, uh, sometimes we'd fight in the morning and, and leave going to work still mad at each other. I mean, after all, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. It doesn't say don't go to work angry. So, you know, just wait a while and let it work out and come home and make up all that, you know? But, um, you know, we made promises and our covenant shaped our home into a secure place where our kids could grow up with confidence Understanding what love is, understanding what commitment is, understanding what family is. And you know what? Our kids have never, ever, ever even wondered about whether we're going to get a divorce. Do you know why? On our wall, we have a certificate. It says certificate that promises we will never divorce. I had it made up. We printed off thousands of copies. We gave them out at our last church. I'm sure Scott could do something like that for you if you guys are interested. But we have it on our wall. We promised never to divorce. We both signed it. Our kids grew up up seeing that. They know, even when I'm a real juke, when I'm a real jerk, sorry. When I'm a real jerk, uh, a real poop head. um, Can I say poop in church? Is that all right? You know, Paul said that in one of his... Anyway, Scott can tell you later. I know even when I'm a real poophead, she won't divorce me because she promised. She may kill me, but that's a different matter between her and God. Maybe we should add that to the wedding vows. I don't know. True promises have depth. And you know what else? They're costly. You can't do whatever you want. They mean something but they shape two lives into one and they shape a family and they shape a, com- shape a community and they shape a church. Do you know, in this church, you make commitments. Some people don't understand church today either. They think, well, the church is just where you go when you feel like it. You know, like you go to Walmart or Target. So we go to this or that church. That's not what a church is. A church, the Bible says, is a family. That means you're committed. And some of you, you know what, today, if you really want to grow in your Christian life, you know what you need to do? You need to commit to this church. Say, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm not just here until something better comes along. I'm all in. I'm going to be here week in, week out. Uh, you know, Lord help me until, you know, Jesus comes or I go. And you know what's going to happen? In 10 or 20 or 30 years, you're going to say, wow, look at my life. God, you blessed me so much. And you know where a lot of those blessings came from? the long term family and friendships and relationships you built in this church that 's what god 's all about he 's about building community. so let the promises of Jesus shape your life that 's what I want to say today God doesn't want just followers he wants he wants us to be his friends so let the promises of Jesus shape your life and i'm sorry I'm, I'm a little out of time a little almost out of time um, If you'd like to take notes, I want to give you some promises of Jesus that I think really could shape your life. And if you really grab a hold of these and make these the most real thing in your life. I mean, what's the most real thing in in your life? The promises people have broken to you? Is that shaping you right now? You're still mad about this and upset about that and carrying a grudge over that? Are, Are the promises that people have broken to you shaping who you are? Or are the promises of Jesus shaping you? So I'm going to suggest... Uh, that you that you just set up a weekly plan. Uh, I call it praying the promises of Jesus. And I, I'm not I'm not wanting to do a pitch to sell books or anything, but I did write it up in a book that's out there just to help you if you're interested. Or you can just t- you can do it this way though too. Just take a picture of this or write it down, whatever, and you can do this. For instance, on Sundays, I suggest that you surround yourself by love. Just luxuriate in the promises of Jesus that he will never leave you or forsake you, that he's with you till the end of the age. You're not alone. Jesus is with you everywhere. And so on Sundays, just make Sundays the day you pray and you concentrate, making the practicing the presence of Jesus in your life, that everywhere you go, he's with you. And that changes everything. Just that you're not alone. Jesus is with you. Hallelujah. That's fabulous. Then on Mondays, on Mondays, I suggest you focus on the promises of Jesus to bring joy into your life. Some Christians, man, they've been, they look like they've been sucking on lemons. You know, (laughs) they're just so negative. They're so, they complain, they grumble all the time. Well, that's because of the broken promises and and the, and the, and the, and the failed, you know, failures of others in their lives, probably, you know, they're upset. But rather than letting those broken promises shape you into being this grumbling person, why not, to, why not let the promises of Jesus to bring you joy shape you? Jesus said, my joy shall be in you, and it, it shall be full. How would you like to have fullness of joy? Hey, on Mondays, some of you, if you're really, you know, sort of a downer and sort of really sort of uh, unhappy in life, you just need to settle on Monday all week long. Just make habit, uh, make happiness a habit in your life. You know, every once in a while I see someone who's really negative, who's really just unhappy. And I feel like just, I feel like shaking them and saying, don't you know this is your choice? You're choosing to be unhappy. I know people have treated you rotten, but hey, you're letting those people, how they treated you, determine who you are more than the promises of Jesus. And Jesus promised to bring your joy. Why not, why not focus on that? Um, my, Tuesdays, uh, you can trust in God's strength. Wednesdays, you can want what God wants. You focus on God's will on Wednesdays. Thursdays, you trade your troubles for peace. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You can have rest. You can lay down your burdens. Friday, I'm finding freedom, especially for those who have different addiction problems. But let me just conclude with this one. On Saturday, I recommend you just, you just enjoy the promises of Jesus that talk about heaven. And just concentrate all day long. I'm so excited about heaven. I'm so looking forward to heaven. You know, the best things in this life are just, are just uh, an appetizer compared to heaven. And once you start thinking about that, and once you realize how, how wonderful his promises are, you know what Jesus said? He said, in my Father's house there right now, isn't that great? And, 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 the, and, and the glories of heaven. Imagine here on earth is just a minor glimpse of the glories of heaven. God has promised you eternal life in paradise. If you have decided to accept that promise. If you decided and you've realized that you can't earn heaven on your own. I mean, heaven's a perfect place. A lot of people in our culture, they get this one wrong too, don't they? You ask them, you know, when you die, do you think you're going to go to heaven? And they usually say something like, well, yeah, because I'm a pretty good person. Right. Do you know what doesn't say that in the Bible? That's not being a Christian, that's being a goodian. A Christian is someone who understands we're going to heaven because of Christ. I love that song the worship team sang, in Christ alone, that's how we're going. And some of you today, you need to make a commitment, a promise, a vow to Jesus, that you're gonna trust in him for your eternal salvation. Some of you today need to decide to be baptized. There's a baptistry outside and you may think, oh, well, I didn't bring a change of clothes. Do you think Jesus took a change of clothes to the River Jordan? No, he just went in in his street clothes. At Adventure in, in, in Roseville, we used to have uh, baptisms on Easter, every Easter. And I can't tell you how many people I, I baptize them in shirt and tie and fancy dresses. It doesn't matter. You can be baptized today. Some of you need to pray that prayer to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Some of you need to pray a prayer to ask and, and just make a decision that you want to be baptized. Some of you need to pray a prayer and commit to this as your church Home your church family, not just someone, somewhere you're going to attend when it feels good or there's nothing else going on. Because this will shape you. Coming to church every single week, that commitment will shape you for the better. It will shape your kids. It will shape your whole family. And then finally, uh, some of you just need to pray a prayer. You know what? I've let the broken promises of this world guide my life too much. I'm going to stop basing my life on the broken promises of this world. I'm going to start basing my life on the promises of Jesus. And you can do that right now. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. First of all, if you just prayed that prayer a moment ago, or you you nodded your head when I said you need to pray a prayer to base your life on the promises of Jesus and not the broken promises of this world. With every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just say that to God in your heart? Just say, God, for too long I've let broken promises from other people guide my life. But from now on, I want the promises of Jesus to guide my life. Just ask that to God in your heart. And if you ask that, every head's bowed, every eyes closed, no one can see but Scott and me. So just raise your hand up there if you prayed that prayer, that you want to just let the broke you want the promises of Jesus to guide your life now. And no more of the broken promises. God bless you. God bless you. Wow, a lot of hands. Raise them up there. Don't be shy. Raise them up if you prayed that. And now another thing. How many, who, how many of you have desire today, you feel that God is leading you to pray a prayer to commit to this as your church home? There's no embarrassment, no problems, but raise your hand. Just go ahead and raise your hand. I want to make this my church home. I don't want to just make this a place I visit. I want this to be my family. God bless you for all the hands up there, right there. God bless you all. And now, how many of you you feel that today is the day that you need to be baptized. Just offer that to God in prayer and say, God, I want to be baptized. And if you pray that prayer afterwards, just come up as Scott or, or one of the other leaders of the church and let them know that. And finally, is there anyone here that you need to make that decision to accept God's promise of forgiveness in Jesus Christ? To commit your life to Jesus Christ and say, I want to be a Christian I realize now, I get it. I can't go to heaven by being a good person. I need to be forgiven by a perfect Savior. And if that's you, just pray a prayer and say, God, I get it. I want to become a Christian. I ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And I commit the rest of my life to following him. If you prayed that prayer, I see that hand. God bless you. Just go ahead and raise up those hands. If you prayed that prayer to accept Christ, don't be shy. Just put them up in the air. God bless you. God bless you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. And we thank you that you see such potential in us. You, you, you love us so much. You value us so much. And now, Lord, we pray that you would shape our future into what you want it to be by the power of your promises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.